the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. This totally magical podcast is brought to you by a ghost and a dude called Mo, as well as Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 45 of Magic Markets. I think this is the first one where we have four people on the show, so it's going to be particularly fun, although uh, Petri joins us for the last show of Herenia September this week, and uh, he's not going to be talking that much tonight, actually. Shock and horror for those who have been listening to the last three shows, because we know that Petri loves to answer questions properly. He's laughing there on this uh, Discord video call, which is also something quite different for us. But first and foremost, Mo, welcome to the show. Always good to have you, and uh, Petri as well. And, and Petri, maybe you can give us an intro to your partner in Herenia who's joining us tonight. All right, well, thank you once again for, for having us. Um, so this is Jonathan. Uh, I think I'll let him introduce himself, but he is uh, part of our team and uh, part of the company. And he basically takes care of, I wouldn't say entirely takes care of the community, but he's the head trader, if you will. So he's a source of much knowledge and experience uh, and helps guide uh, the community of traders that we have and I think helps them a, a huge amount. So he's that guy on Instagram you were talking about on his yacht in the Bahamas. <laughs> Is that Jonathan? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah that's he... the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, welcome. Mo, I'm just checking you there. I know you're sitting in your closet in Canada. It's our best kept secret. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Ghost. Always a pleasure co-hosting this with you. Uh, Petri, thanks for the intro to, to Jonathan. And Jonathan, great to uh, to meet you, even though it's virtually. Uh, I think, you know, we're really excited about uh, some of the insights that you're going to be sharing with us uh, on today's show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the invite, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to have you. So you are a trader, which is that word that everyone gets so excited about. And I think Petri's done a wonderful job over the past few shows of just giving people an idea of what that actually means in practice, how much hard work it is, how much commitment it takes. I want to ask you, first and foremost, you know, we've heard about how tough it is, but once you get through all of that, has it been a great, rewarding journey for you? I mean, I would love to spend a couple of minutes just understanding your story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I'm sure you've heard this plenty of times from many guys, uh, but it is a very hard road to get to where I'm currently at. I think I've been doing this now full time, full full time for about seven years, going into eight years. So it's been a long, long road. And yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a very exponential process. You know, the beginning is extremely slow, but then it gets to a point where you start to almost feel comfortable enough where you see the results really start to, you know, to clean up. So yeah, it's definitely one of those. And what were you doing before you were a trader? 
So my actual background is um, I studied accounting. Um, I was doing my BREC, uh, you know, Bachelor in Accounting. And then my idea, you know, was to become a CA, you know, with the idea of making lots of money. <laughs> but uh, when I started doing my honors, I realized uh, I, I really struggled with the auditing part. I found it extremely uh, boring for me. Um, and when I started doing the honors, I said to myself, no, nah, I, just, I just can't do this. And I had a couple of mates that were already doing the the articles and they were telling me what they were doing and I was just no I just I can't that's just not for me you know so at that point I decided to just stop and then I started doing um, I was a data analyst for a security internet company back then it was called semantic it's been bought a couple of times by different companies finally I found this uh, this way into this uh, uh, prop firm in Cape Town and and that was it and at that time I was 24 Jonathan, that's that's always interesting. I mean, even on the show with, with Piedri, we were discussing his history back in the construction industry, for example. So it's it's always so fascinating yeah. to see the kinds of journeys that everyone's gone through. Uh, and I, you know, I'm going to send some abuse towards the ghost here because I know the ghost is a CA by qualification. And we used to always joke and say that, you know, CAs are, are taught how to think inside the box. Uh, and when you're a trader, sometimes you've got to think outside of the box. I mean, something I want to just touch on, you know, it's, it's, it's a point we discussed with Pietri about two shows ago, where, you know, there's an evolution in terms of the type of trader that people become. Some people are cut out to be intraday traders. Some people are cut out to be swing traders and, and so forth. In my own journey, you know, try that whole intraday thing. And, you know, it, like you say, it's any trading is hard work. And intraday, you're sitting watching every single tick and you realize very quickly whether that's for you or not for you. Can you maybe give us some perspective in terms of your own journey, in terms of discovering the different trading styles, trading disciplines, and just how that comes together in your management and nurturing of the Herenia community? I think to give you guys an idea, my first interaction with, I wouldn't say trading, but more investing was when I was, I think I was 18 and my dad had a typical Standard Bank account. And then he said to me, you can, I'll give you 20,000 Rand and you know, you, you just play with that kind of thing, you know? And I started with that, but I, I quickly realized that it was incredibly difficult to really make money, even swing trading, because with 20 grand, you know, you have no leverage and you basically have to, you know, you can't really do much. So at that point, I started trading other options and warrants. And then I quickly realized <laughs> that was a very tough game to play. I mean, especially at that age. So I really, I lost a lot of that money very quickly. But um, my journey to the intraday, you know, when I, when I went into the prop firm, it was basically, um, you know, you just trade in intraday. So they made a very big point to say, you do not hold positions overnight, otherwise you get in trouble. So you, you really had to learn your way with, with the intraday. And my past experience was very limited um, in terms of swing trading. So I really started with the intraday a lot more than anything else. And because I was still young, I didn't have enough exposure to anything else. So that really helped me to grow into the intraday more than anything else. I mean, even now, I'm, I still feel I'm a better intraday trader than probably swing trader because I find the quick reward is something that you, I'm sure you'll hear from other intraday traders, but that quick reward is just something that is, it just makes it a lot better. So, you know, you have a swing trade and uh, to give you an idea, I've been in a, in a swing trade position with Telcom and I got in at 42.50 and was at 30. 738 rand you know today i think the last couple of weeks and i'm sitting on this and i'm sitting on this and then today it goes up 15 percent so now i'm only flat uh, whereas you know if i traded that today intraday 
you know, could have easily made 10% on that one move. So it's it's completely the mindset of the two different styles is, you know, opposite worlds, even though it's still the same, it's still trading. So, yeah, I think within within the Herenia community, you know, I've got a lot of knowledge in the intraday side of things and obviously a lot of background when it comes to the fundamentals and not just reading the action. So I try and help the, 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 the community as much as possible to let them know that they, they have to find their own way every single trader will find their way of uh, or style of trading you know i mean i was watching a guy today trading short uber for example um and i mean i don't know how much you guys follow the us but uber was pretty much seven percent up and this guy was making money on the short side and i would have thought no i'd rather go long so it's it's finding your style is, is something that takes a lot a lot of time and i think that's the one thing and i'm patronized that i normally bang on the new guys is you gotta have enough records you know uh, journalize and things like that in order to find out what kind of person you are what kind of trader they are so it, it actually takes time before you can get to that level yeah it's, it's amazing to hear the consistency between you and Pietri around journaling and all that kind of stuff i mean these are the lessons that i think have come through extremely clearly in the in the time that we've spent with you guys something i've always wondered because i'm very much a fundamentals guy much more like long term etc so what's interesting for me is whenever a sense announcement comes out it's amazing how quickly the share price reacts. There's no ways that people have read the whole announcement. And I've always wanted to ask someone this, so I'm going to ask you. How much of a sense announcement do you read? Or are you just watching <laughs> the chart? A genuine question. Like, How far down no, do you that's... get before you pull a trigger? Or do you just watch for the price move and then you kind of go with that momentum for a little while and then get out? I've always wanted to ask this. How does that work in practice? So that's a great question. You know, that's something that comes with the territory, but it's something that you'll get with experience. And I'll give you an example because... As you're asking that, I'm already thinking of this one stock that I'm sure a lot of guys are actually long, Sabanya. I know a lot of guys have been saying this thing is going to 80 bucks, it's going to 60 bucks or whatever it was. And I will never forget we had Harmony out with a trading statement. That trading statement came out. I barely managed to open the sense. And by the time I look at the tab, this thing is already going. So I'm a, I can tell you by fact that what's happening is no one's reading that. It's just the algos instantly see trading statement and that they just buy. So that happened with Harmony, I think it was, let's say, a month ago. Then Sibanya came out with a trading statement and literally the same thing happened. So it just took, you just see the, the, the sense that comes out and it starts to get, you know, it just gets bought instantly. No one had time to actually read the sense. And funny enough, with Harmony, the sense was actually a lot worse than consensus. And I mentioned it on the on the group. I said the actual consensus numbers are worse than expected. So this share shouldn't be doing so well. And eventually it actually starting to go down. So you can see how the algos are so quick. But when the fund managers and everyone else starts to go read through it, they realize, okay, now this is not a good, not a good trading statement. We need to sell the stock. And today, for example, with Telcom, I was actually not at my desk at the time that it came out. I think I came in a minute afterwards. And as soon as I saw that headline, when you see a headline that says unlocking value, you don't even open the sense because you know that's good news. When you see something that says, um, you know, there's an offer, an offer for, for this company, you know that if you're not quick enough, you're not going to get stock in that, you know, so you kind of have to be incredibly quick. And that's, I think, something that you can only learn with experience because a lot of the new guys will read it, look at the paper, see what consensus was, read the thing. By the time you read it, this thing's gone. So you have to be, that's one thing that I always say to the guys. 
and I'll go on a, on a Sunday and I'll go through potential trading statements for the week and I know the numbers in my head. So the moment that sense comes out, I look at that revenue number, the hips, if it's below or if it's above my expectations, I know what I'm going to do. But you have to be prepared. It's the good stuff's got to be in the first three lines. That explains a lot of sense announcements for me. I want to pick up on that because you know I'd like to know, given your experience, how advanced are some of these algos down in South Africa? I'll tell you why I asked the question is, is up in, in, in the US, for example, there's a lot of these NLP, national uh, natural language processing algos that run, that actually run through the entire, in here it would be kind of the SEC announcement rather than the SENS announcement, but it runs through all of that. Uh, there's quite a bit of intelligence behind it. A lot of the hedges tend to use those uh, and they tend to apply a, quite a high degree of, of intelligence in terms of whether the SENS or whether the announcement is in aggregate a good or a bad one rather than just the headline type stuff. Do you think that you know analysis on that is, is as advanced down in the South African market? Uh, there should be no reason why it shouldn't be. The technology should be available. Uh, or do you think it's really a more an amalgamation of guys, as you indicated, who know the numbers at the, at the back of their high hand, look at the headline numbers versus what their expectations were and hit the go button on that? So I think to give you know to give you an idea is that the, the first thing that stands out between the two markets is liquidity. So when you're looking at the US, you, you're obviously dealing with a huge amount of volume. Whereas with us, you know, it's it's a, it's a bunch. You know, I know we have foreigners and things like that, but the volumes are so small in comparison. So when there is a program that is running, you know, when there's a hedge fund manager or if there's a a big company buying a stock, it is a lot easier to identify. Um, the tape is not as quick, you know, when, when I watch the US, it's sometimes it's impossible to read some of the action. You don't even bother watching it because it's too fast. The algos are there and they're probably as, as advanced, but it also comes with, you know, who's the big gun. So if there is a big gun in the market, you can see it very clearly. I think today Talcum was, was pretty clear. I even said to the guys, it almost feels like someone's been banging this thing so hard for the last couple of weeks that today almost felt like every now and then you'll see a big bird, you know, 50,000. 25,000, 30,000, and and it's it's so uh, consistent. It's 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 not something that changes. You, it's almost too obvious in a way. So yeah, I think and you can pick it up a lot easier than than a market um, like the US. I actually traded the LSE when I started intraday trading, and when I came onto the JSC, I I couldn't believe how easy it was because on on London, you know, I would be watching Glencore, which is very small on our side. But Glencore had like would have eight hundred thousand on the bid, one million on the bid every now and then. Whereas here you hardly see it trading twenty, thirty thousand shares. So you know you obviously have your big guns in, in on the LSE in London and the US. So yeah, the JSC is a lot easier to read. But at the same time, you don't have the liquidity to take size as well. I just want to pick up on that trading statement point. One last technical thing for our listeners: so trading statement on the JSC means your results are going to be different by more than twenty percent versus you know, the comparable. So I guess what the algos are doing is saying that at the moment, if a company is issuing a trading statement, it's probably good news because they're probably coming out of the, you know, the worst of the pandemic. And so on average, it's probably going to go up. So buy every trading statement. And then I guess they write something into the algo that says, oh, whoops, if it starts to drop after the trading statement, actually we got it wrong, get out. I mean, would that be a reasonable summary of how those things work? So technically speaking, a trading statement needs to be released if uh, results will be above 20% or below 20%. So just because of the trading statement, it could be a bad, a really bad trading statement. But I think on the, on the other side, to give you guys an idea for the last 
couple of months we've you know if you've been following the pgm sector they've been doing ridiculous uh trading statements you know 200 300 percent 400 percent you know so uh, you know in, in that case uh i think harmony came out like 300 percent or something like that and they were looking at i think consensus on bloomberg was 400 or something so even though the trading that's that's probably what you're saying the trading statement comes out they're expecting good numbers when you go through it you realize geez they actually went below consensus and then you know the that's what I always tell the new guys. It takes time for, for the analysts, you know, like companies like Alan Gray and things like that have one guy that just follows one stock. So this guy is he's a perfectionist for Sabanya. So he knows everything about that company. Whereas I, I just know maybe like you do, you know, you know your fundamentals, you know this number, but you don't really know all the, the grits and nits. So I guess you could say that the algos you know, just kick in for the first 60 seconds. It can be really difficult to trade that. It's not something that I would advise new guys to trade. I mean, that that's very valuable. And I, I think your point around liquidity is absolutely critical because that's also where sometimes the opportunity comes about. And perhaps also in terms of, of some of the mismatches. So, for example, the algos, let's argue, pump this thing up. And then, for example, you read through the results and it comes off. That back and forth is really what makes a market. That's what makes opportunity. That's why, you know, generally in my head at least, one of the core differences between traders and investors is more often than not, traders take both sides of the market. You could be long and you could be short. Uh, you can trade it whether it's going up or whether it's going down. And I think that's that's a massive distinction because investors, again, traditionally tend to just take long only positions. So as a trader, even if your time frame, for example, is not the intraday micro time frame, I mean, I'm sitting out here with a six hour, seven hour time zone difference to South Africa. My ability to intraday trade uh, is now almost severely limited. I had actually tried that a little while ago, burning the candle on both ends. It's It's a disaster, right? And but that doesn't matter because I can now trade the other side of it where maybe there's a knee-jerk reaction on a trading's announcement. I take the time, look through the numbers and trade it the other way around as it corrects and vice versa. And I think that's a very powerful point that you're making is that you don't have to be the guy who sits in front of the screen as the trading statements come out all the time. Uh, you, there's also a gap, a niche in the market and specifically maybe in South Africa more so than in other markets to trade dislocations. And that's really the critical point is you don't have to be the first guy clicking the, 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 the button like Pietri was uh, the other week, uh, but you, you it, it, there's, there's, it's not a one size fits all. There's a solution for every type of trader. I just want to jump in there as we head towards the end of the show. So something I would like to ask on behalf of you know, a lot of people who haven't really done this in practice is when you go short in the South African market, let's say that a, a relatively sort of mid-cap sized company comes out with something that you don't like and you think the share price is going to drop. What is the process? What are you trading there? It would be good, I think, for people to just understand that for a couple of minutes. What does that actually look like? Yeah, so it's not, that's something that I always, that I always point out to, to you know, to the guys that are asking me or new guys are asking questions like how, how big do you trade? Um, and I think a, a lot of this comes from swing trading because I'm sure you guys have heard this plenty of times, but you have this conception on swing trading, which is, which is good to trade, let's say a hundred thousand, every single trade is a hundred thousand. And, and that makes sense maybe in, in swing trading, but when it comes to, to uh, intraday trading, it's not as easy because taking a hundred thousand on NASPERS is, you know, it's easy. But taking 100,000 on something like maybe um, Signia or, I don't know, uh, MRF or any other stock like that, you know, you take that size and you could lose 10% just like that. 
So that's what I always say. You got to look at the liquidity of the stock first and then look at also the, the um, volatility um, of that stock. So you can't be taking, you know, your 100,000 and, you know, you're risking 10%. So you're already going down that, you know, if it goes against you and then you also have the spread to deal with because some of those stocks have ridiculous spreads. I think the key thing is, and I'll, I'll repeat this again, is to be prepared. So I would not take a short position on a small stock unless I know that's a, it's a really bad, you know, set of results or trading statement that came out. So I will take into account um, the spread, first of all, the liquidity of, of that stock, and then go ahead with, with sizing. So in my head, I'll be prepared to, you know, let's say I'm going to lose 10 or 20 or whatever it is. So I don't go in with just a set amount of capital. I go in with a set amount of stop loss more than anything else. I think Steinoff can be one of those good examples where you can take, you know, 50 or 80,000 shares and you can easily lose eight, 10 grand just like that without even blinking uh, with, with the sense that comes out. Jonathan, you're doing this for a living, right? I mean, this is your income. And I can imagine that's quite stressful. It's hard enough being an entrepreneur, I can confirm. It's even, I'm sure it's even harder being an intraday trader because you really do... You know, you eat what you kill, as Mo always says to me. Do you have a targeted daily profit? Is it like a weekly thing? You know, you wake up on a Saturday morning for breakfast and you feel okay because you made X rand that week. How do you just manage your life, <laughs> bluntly? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think, you know, for at the beginning, and I've I've said this uh, to many to many people that ask me this question of what I do and. I know it's. I know there's a lot of other jobs that are incredibly tough. Um, you know, it's not like trading is the hardest job in the world, but it's one of the few jobs in the world where you know you come in, you put in, you give in your old, and then you go away with nothing, or even worse, you go away losing money, and you actually come the next day and like, uh, now I need to make up for what I lost, you know, the day before. So it's an incredibly psychological game. You know, it's not as you know your boss, you know, told you that you didn't do a good job, and then you, you know, I'll do better job tomorrow and that's it you still get your pay slip so yeah i think at the beginning it was incredibly difficult to get through that stretch because there used to be set targets you know i would have to cover expenses so and the guys where i, where I was trading they always said to me you know you got to give yourself at least two years before you see make you know you make any profits you know you have to look at the expenses not only of uh, of trading itself but the platform and you know just sitting there watching so yeah, well, I think the process, once you get into the flow of finding out what kind of trader you are uh, and you start increasing size slowly and, and knowing when to pull the trigger, that for me has been the key uh, difference and also not having big losers, obviously. But once the process gets going, you know, you would easily say, to give you an idea right now, I don't have targets because, and that's something that I've said to many people, unfortunately, I can't say tomorrow I'm going to make 10 or tomorrow I'm going to make five or whatever it is. Unfortunately, you come in with a square book and then an opportunity like to then telcom could come and you could easily make your month. That can easily happen. So unfortunately, no, I don't have targets. Um, I have targets that I want to meet for the month, but it's not something that if I don't meet, I feel bad about it. Unfortunately, you know, if there's nothing happens, you can't really come here and expect to make money. So and it's I think another thing that a lot of people that are maybe looking to do something like this. Is something that you have to get in your head is that if nothing happens, you're better off not trading than actually sitting there and just clicking, clicking, clicking and losing and just, um, you know, dragging costs with you as well. 
those are all spot on. I, I go see in the interest of time. I think, you know, there, there's some nice commonalities between what we discussed today as well as what we've discussed on previous shows. So for, for listeners that haven't listened to the whole series of Herenia September, please go and do it. It's four episodes in total. You know, some of the, the, the key points I just want to touch on is, you know, there's a lot of congruency between what was discussed today and some of the stuff Petri had said around position sizing and risk control. But the last point I also just want to highlight, and it's because Ghost, you've indicated that, you know, there are people that look at being entrepreneurs and then they're traders, and those concepts are not mutually exclusive in my head. Uh, I remember having a discussion with uh, another very experienced trader in the South African market, uh, and he said this to me, and, and, and we kind of agreed and, and, and resonated, is that it's like running a business. If you run a business and let's say you sell, for example, donuts, you go into your business, you've got a rental cost to overcome, and on some days, you're gonna get a lot of customers through the door and you're gonna sell a lot of donuts. And on other days, you're not gonna sell a single donut, but you still have your overheads, you have your rental, you have, you know, so you've gotta look at trading as a business. And, you know, as Jonathan has actually said, some days you're gonna go in and you're gonna, you're gonna lose money. Uh, in a business, as an entrepreneur, you still you, you might not see it on a mark to market, but you're paying your rental, you're paying your staff. So if you don't sell anything, you are still losing money. And I, the reason I highlight that is a lot of traders get despondent when they lose money. A lot of traders get despondent. And that's why that staying power, that longevity, the grit that we discussed on previous shows becomes so important is that you've got to ride through the tough days, the tough trading sessions, because if you get this right, uh, as Jonathan just said, you can actually make your entire month in a single day if the right setup and the right opportunity presents itself. Uh, thanks so much just from my side, Jonathan. I think that's been absolutely great. Nice. Herenia September has been a treat. I've learned so much and it's been really cool. And Jonathan, uh, Pietri, you've, you've been really quiet this show. As I said at the start, it'll come as a shock to many. And uh, it's been really cool to actually ask the sort of questions I've always wanted to ask and to just reiterate once more. Go back, listen to all the shows. And if you're serious about taking your trading to the next level, if you're ready to move past the sort of basic online brokers and join a community of people who are there to develop you and teach you how to do this stuff, I can absolutely give a personal recommendation for Herenia. They are great guys, truly. So thank you. This has been Magic Markets and we will speak again next week. This totally magical podcast is brought to you by a ghost and a dude called Mo, as well as Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.